0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 15 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells, pro wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, uh, a book that goes into detail on every single pro wrestling event that's ever occurred in Japan's most famous stadium. In this podcast, we take a look at a different year of wrestling history within the Tokyo Dome. This is episode 15. This is uh, the episode we're looking at, 2003, and joining me this time uh, is a veteran, Combat sports journalist is the author of The World's Most Dangerous Man, a new biography on Ken Shamrock, which is uh, coming out very, very soon. Uh, Jonathan Snowden joins me. Uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Uh, I really enjoyed the book, so uh, I'm glad to add whatever I can to it.
0: Yeah, and I I'm, I'm looking forward to this as well because I think um the two of us have like different philosophies on <laughs> on Maybe. or different tastes on on what was happening in wrestling at the time. So I think this this will be uh, uh some pretty good uh some pretty good chatting going on. But I uh, I mean 2003 uh John, how did how did you connect to where was your place what were you doing in 2003 how were you connected with combat sports and and pro wrestling and everything?
1: Well, so honestly, this was a, about the time where I, I really fell out of the the pro wrestling scene, especially the Japanese scene. Uh, some of that just had to do with what was going on in my life. I was overseas in the army, and you know, as hard as it had been to, to get you know tapes uh, of Japanese pro wrestling, uh, once you're overseas, then it's like a whole different deal. And you know, we were making the transition from tapes to DVDs, and there's a number of reasons why it was kind of uh, difficult for me to follow along. So that's part of why I'm, I'm glad I was tagged to do this particular year in in pro wrestling, because a lot of it was not super familiar to me. Um, now, uh, I, I still, of course, was an enormous fan of, of pride fighting championships and, and K one and, and the UFC. So I was tracking that stuff a, a little bit more carefully. So, but for me, as a, in my pro wrestling fandom, which is really how I started it, it, all this, uh, you know, this these are kind of the lost years. So it, it's been exciting for me to, to kind of catch up on what was going on.
0: I think the lost years to to lots of different people. You know, I mean, like you're describing probably the journey that a lot of fans were going through in the in the early two thousands in Japan at least. In you know, this this sort of um transition away from from pro wrestling and and into MMA and and pro wrestling, particularly perhaps New Japan, like not really sort of scratching the itch in terms of, of pro wrestling um as much or in mm. terms of like narrative pro wrestling um yeah, so. I think that's,
1: that's really interesting to think about it that way that i was just one one of many and i think that that does kind of speak to what was going on at the time and because you know the things that were important to me that were exciting and vibrant uh, i found a way to keep tracking you know and, and keep watching and something like new japan pro wrestling uh and and noah at the time and and, and things like that like the that stuff fell off and maybe uh, that does speak to what was going on in the business because you know if the same thing were to happen right now like you know there's no way I would give up my New Japan Pro Wrestling World subscription I'd find a way <laughs> yeah. because the because the, the wrestling is so good and exciting and so I think you're right that maybe it does speak to what was going on that you know I felt like it was okay to to lose contact with it because you know i the best years at least the the years you know the wrestlers that were important to me were kind of fading and and the new stuff wasn't really wasn't clicking with me and maybe i guess i wasn't alone
0: yeah yeah right um 2003 uh but i was trying to look for for you know i usually do a little bit of of trivia of, of what was going on in japan at the time and uh the answer really seems to be not, not that much <laughs> you know i mean, think 2002 was like the the boom because we had the, the world cup in in japan in 2002 and oh. uh you know that's when everybody was was busy and a lot of foreign people in japan making a lot of money um <laughs> in various different different forms, um, which I'm sure will will pop up when the Olympics comes over here as as well. But um, yep, yeah, all I could find was a snap. We're, we're top of the charts. Like, what was <laughs> taking <laughs> up? What was the number one signal uh, single? in each year and and uh everybody knows that but like smap is is the first i think on on my big long list of, of people that i've heard of they were kind of <laughs> inescapable um for for so 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 very long especially when i sort of first came to to japan but uh you're not you're not a japanese pop fan are you uh
1: not in particularly um, no. <laughs> not that i don't enjoy it uh when I see it, and uh, definitely the the Korean stuff, the Korean pop stuff is always uh, pretty entertaining to watch. But uh, uh, my my uh, knowledge of Japanese music is, is really low, except Cheap Trick played at Budokan. I know that.
0: There you go. <laughs> you, you didn't uh, you didn't follow Bob Sapp's uh, popular. knows that I'm a big man. Don't know the cause I'm the best one yet. No opponent to fight is my only friend, Seattle is my hometown. But Japan's superstar is also found. Don't worry, cause you will see. I trade a place with him. Now Japan has me. <laughs> ELG
1: talented force that like you know of course he did everything well so <laughs> his commercials his music his his wrestling his kickboxing i mean what's not to love
0: yeah exactly
1: so, so we were talking about snap like the power i've got the power snap
0: no 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 it's not snap with an n but snap with an m because they were something ah oh, like the p stands for performers like it's an acronym and Oh, i got it yeah so like they were they weren't just musicians um because, which is a good thing because like they they really could not sing at all you know and that was kind of like the knock on them but they they had this career for like 25 years on TV because they were oh, thought, comedians like a... and actors and like you know and had TV shows and all of this stuff so
1: it sounded like an inexplicable comeback for like that German dance group from the early 90s. That that like, <laughs> And I was like, yeah, that would have been exciting. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that, that kind of thing. Not. That that <laughs> happens. Yeah, <laughs> that happens in this country. Um, you know, I wouldn't put it past uh, Japan as a nation. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, 2003 in a wrestling stance, uh, starting with uh, Wrestling World 2003. And a New Japan, as we kind of alluded to, that uh, was in a tough, not it wasn't in a tough spot. It's an interesting year to talk about, because this is where New Japan business goes off a cliff. Um, 2003, over the course of the year, their, uh, their overall sales um, literally halved, their business halved over the course of, of 12 months. Um wow. And that's probably kind of suffering the the knock on effects of of everything that happened in two thousand and two, where like where Muto left, uh, where Kojima left, Choshu left, you know, so a whole bunch of guys left left the company, and and what was left was this um, sort of a horrible politicized um, situation where uh, you know broadly it was kind of half a camp that was. Uh, you know the the sort of more traditional pro wrestling side and you know then in office as the owner that had the the final say and had very different philosophy um and so i really get the feel on the show of like two halves of the company butting head and and that's what you got literally later on with like the ultimate crush shows um but In general, like it kind of feels, it felt weird. I don't know if it if it did to to you, Jonathan, but it it does to me. Like that. It's so strange having gone from some of these shows where the, the crowd was so, so hot and so live and so, you know, so loud and raucous in the in the Tokyo Dome um, to certainly the matches that we chose at the top end of the card on January the 4th, where it's like silence and occasional slight applause, but like a really sort of quiet, different feel.
1: Yeah, it was it was really awkward to watch some of this stuff, and uh, and it it does, and it's kind of like a hot button topic right now. If you follow along on the the wrestling internet, this the, the collision of traditional pro wrestling values and and what people call the Nokiism is like you know suddenly like it's a topic that people are talking about now. You know, more than ten years later, fifteen years later. So uh, we're, we've kind of jumped into the middle of an ongoing debate, I guess, about you know what what was the appropriate direction for professional wrestling in Japan, and it. didn't did really feel like uh, this is a show in which uh, they are not presenting a coherent vision uh, on pro wrestling. It, it's more like, you know, this is one company show, New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it almost kind of reminded me of one of those early dome shows where like, you know, 15 promotions would get together and each one would put on their best match. And that was the the dome show. Um, it felt like that a little bit, like this show was multiple visions even though it was the same company it was almost like it wasn't it's like you know this is Anoki's vision of of wrestling and 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 the traditional vision and and maybe some people trying to do new things and it was a it was a mess
0: yeah and and sort of one of those those key aspects for for this show that was so strange was that they they built up the NWF title. Like Inoki had bought back this this old NWF title, which is what they had before the the IWGP. And like he he, I think the the vision behind it was that this is the the battle. This was like the quote unquote like shoot style wrestling title. Um, and so there was that kind of idea of let's partition this aspect off into its own division they have their own champion and what have you and and like in a sense like that kind of makes sense but it doesn't really when you have that nwf title match and then you have the iwgp title match which was pretty much exactly the same style and then (laughs) takiyama's like challenges nagata at the end of the show anyway Yeah, you know, so it it's yeah like like you said like a lot of cooks with with very very different um visions and there were a lot of people i think in in the the booking committee at the time as well
1: huh. So uh, yeah, I was really excited though to watch this NWF uh, match because uh, you know I was a huge fan of shoot style wrestling from the, the U line era and you know the uh, all the various not uh, spinoff groups of that. So it was kind of like a collision of two worlds for me to see what uh, Takayama from uh, UWF International how he would match up with Rings uh, Kosaka and so uh, I, I was really 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 excited about this match and and it turned out though. Uh, that they didn't, they didn't really click that well, and I was kind of surprised by that and disappointed. And I think uh, you could tell by the the fans' reaction that they were kind of a little disappointed too.
0: Yeah, it was just really plodding, right? And then there was a there was a bit they had the the misfortune of some cable got knocked out or whatever. It's like uh, the, the, the arena goes into dark and like that you get a little bit of reaction. It's like, Oh, something might happen, you know? And then nothing happens. It's
1: It was almost like they were sending them a message like, uh, all right, this thing's over with, you know, someone from above was like, you know what, this is not working out. Let's just turn out the lights on this whole thing. I don't know what was going on, but it was, it was kind of brutal. And you know, the thing about Kosaka is that I thought, and a lot of people thought that he was one of the very best professional wrestlers in the entire world when it comes to presenting a realistic match like he had had these matches with uh volkan and yamamoto mm. and and kiyoshi tamara in, in rings like his match in 1998 with tamara was uh, you know considered by many the best match of that entire year and so you know in theory he should have been a great opponent for Takayama if you were uh, attempting to present him as uh, this more realistic kind of uh, professional wrestler and 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 in reality it just didn't work like you know Takayama's what he was good at was the the standing striking stuff uh, it turned out he was abysmal as a as a grappler like on the ground and and and, and it just uh, uh, it, they, they just couldn't figure it out. and it was really really disappointing and too bad because you know just five years before this, uh, Kosaka was such a, uh, an incredible talent and he had the, the legitimacy from his fights in the UFC. Uh, this should have worked. And it's one of those things where it's like you can't necessarily blame, blame the booking committee and the people who, who thought this up because on paper this was great. And then just once they got out into the ring, you're right, it was absolutely uh, plotting.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and perhaps, you know, to, to be fair to Kosaka, like, you know, that five years before this, it was a different time, and, like, you're, I think, like, part of the reason why this, you know, the quote-unquote inokism era, like, was so bad business-wise was, it was a case of, like, the toothpaste being, like, out of the tube, you know, as a mm. thing I've said, you know, it's. Kind of like there's um, a book came out recently, a Japanese book about Pride came out last year. Um, and it's sort of, you know, they, they focus on, on Pride 1 is, is where everything starts. But the title of the book is like The the Day That Pro Wrestling Died. And there is, you know, even though everything, it, it wound up taking a different course. But like for for that style of pro wrestling, I think like for that period, um it it very much did because it's kind of hard to present a shoot star product when the shoot product is so popular um because why wouldn't you watch that you know?
1: Yeah, and it really just kind of blew up the entire myth of of the UWF. You know, these promotions from the early 80s, which had been built on the idea of like, okay, well, yes, we're pro wrestlers, but we're the ones who are real and we're we're the tough guys and we can really fight. And here, what we're doing over here is legitimate, and and what we were doing before in New Japan was was not. Uh, You know, that was kind of the premise that, that built those promotions and made them such a sensation, especially UWF in the, in the late eighties, you know, when they were selling out the Tokyo dome in in a matter of minutes, you know, that it, it was hot, but you can't really fool people into believing that once they've seen UFC and they've seen pride and they've seen Pancras, like it's like uh, now, you know, you've been exposed, you know, you're exactly what you were criticizing the other guys for being. And now everybody knows it. And so I, I do think they you know, they needed uh, some time to recover from that because uh, it had to have been just like shattered their credibility that they've spent some of these guys that spent 10 or 15 years talking about how real they were and how tough they were. And then it turns out they were just pro regular old pro wrestlers after all. And, and uh, you know, I do think that you, you can't be caught in a lie like that and, and not suffer some repercussions, you know?
0: Right. Which is kind of why like the, the, noah were able to succeed i think in the, in those early 2000s and and put out something strong because they they weren't chasing that you know they they were chasing the barber ideal of um you know if, if everybody else can go to to martial arts and will protect pro wrestling and like so the odo style rather rather than strong style was was something that ran out that won out in in these these early years i think um but uh, yeah i mean just the the, the I think the, the summation of, of all things bizarre is like in a way is, is Josh Barnett doing a decent, decent enough job in the circumstances ever. Absolutely. Like a decent job <laughs> within hmm. the circumstances against Eugene Gata, um, considering that Josh Barnett had never had a pro wrestling match in, in his life. And he was doing it in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: the, isn't that crazy? And I, I, I talked to Josh about that years ago and, you know, he was just, uh, so calm and it's just amazing to me that you're making your professional wrestling debut you're in the main event you're in the tokyo dome and it's like he he was just steeled for it there were no nerves there and uh like you say like for a first professional wrestling match i mean almost everybody's first professional wrestling match is is kind of a mess you know you 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 get too excited you forget to sell this or you know you you forget how, how the script is supposed to go this that didn't happen here. It's like he belonged, and it, and it was uh, you have to really credit him for that. You know that that he came in and and was able to perform on the level where they had placed him, which was extraordinarily high. So uh, I, I was really impressed by that.
0: Yeah, and and you have to like bow down to to the god that is Eugene Agata, like and mm. and the run that he had where, um, he was put in all sorts of crazy situations and and some of the situations where you know he wanted uh, to to go out and and fight um, opponents that were, that were way out of his league um, and <laughs> get and get brutally destroyed but you know he wanted to do that um, he volunteered for that Um but uh, then whenever, you know, it was the other way and, and somebody that, that really didn't belong in a pro wrestling scenario, but, but was put opposite Yuji Nagata, he was, he was always able uh, to bring the best out of them. And, you know, so I, I think like Josh would, was incredibly safe in a sense, but with, with Nagata in the, in the opposite corner.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you look at Nagata's career, uh, you have to think about when, you know, in, 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 retrospect, this is one of the great IWGP reigns, I think. And, and one of the great champions because of the challenges he faced, like, you know, mm. he's stuck between these two competing visions and, and, I, and, and you could feel that he was pulled towards both of them. Like, you know, when he lived in Atlanta working for world championship wrestling, uh, he was training MMA a lot. There was this guy down there, uh, Tim Catalfo, who ran a gym, and Mark Coleman came down there to train, and, and, and so there was a lot of guys who were interested in that stuff. And so, you know, he had he had kind of dipped his toe into that world, and and you could tell it intrigued him. But, it, but at the same time, he's also one of the, the great professional wrestlers uh, of his era. And so like, there's very few people I think that could have stood in the middle of these two competing forces and, and, and survived it. And, and he was the guy who did. And, and sometimes I think he, he's kind of unfairly overlooked because of that. You know, he's, he's performing in this in incredibly difficult circumstance and, and yet still, you know, just night after night, uh, big show after big show he's delivering. And so, um, I, I think that sometimes we kind of forget that. Yeah. I,
0: I think for, for everybody that, you know, for new fans that that I speak to that are just coming into the product and, and especially coming from, from overseas, like I always tend to liken Eugene Nagata to Bret Hart. Um, you know, someone that when they were at, at the top of the business that, you know, the, the business was, was very, very down. Um, and that that's the knock on them, but that you, you couldn't find anybody better at, at what they did. Um, and, yeah, I think that, that that's a perfect uh, summation of both of those guys. But um, to go from this this show, which was, um, yeah, I mean, all the shows, we're, we're looking at a, a very awkward um, relationship between pro wrestling and, and MMA on this episode. And nothing gets more bizarre than than Wrestle 1. Um, <laughs> now, like... As as a journalist that that you know, as like you said that that you've covered Pride, and and everything like that. What was were you aware of Dream Stages' uh, dabblings in in pro wrestling at at the time, or like when you when you did become aware of this? Um how how did you how did you feel about uh, wrestling well
1: you know i i really like the the absurdism of 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 where they took wrestling and you know you you see these pictures and images of Takata dressed up as you know i don't even know what he was supposed to be some sort of general and you know like uh, guys in diapers and you know just uh, and, and these guys who were like the most serious uh, professional wrestlers would eventually uh You know, just to kind of make a mockery of the whole thing, even guys like Toshiaka Kawada from from All Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, you picture him with this very stoic, serious face, and and yet he's out here doing the most ridiculous things. I'm attracted to that kind of thing. Uh, I find it interesting and, and funny. So I'm not like one of these purists uh, MMA fans that that it gets really upset because guys are participating in in, in, in weird things. I, I like the weirdness of it. I like stuff like DDT and and, and wrestling taken to really extreme levels. So for me, you know, the, it's right up my alley. And this show um, was. Just weird enough to, to kind of be interesting, but was never actually good, I think, probably for a single second. No. Which is kind of, <laughs> kind of amazing to, to think about. You, you've tried to draw all these people to this enormous building and you present this thing in which it is never actively good for a single second. <laughs> that is. You know that takes some some kind of balls, I think, to, to, to put this out there in, in front of all these people. I I can't even imagine the person who did this. Like like how yeah. did they come up with this?
0: Well, okay, so yeah, you you alluded to to Hustle, which was the 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 off from Wrestle One, which was how how that was born was was even more bizarre, but. Um, yeah, I mean, what this came from was like the period, and maybe you can speak a little bit more to this. Was was the period where Pride and K one had a decent working relationship together? Like, do do you know much of that era?
1: I mean, I I, I know it is like having consumed the product. You know, the mm. the the behind the scenes maneuvering of the Japanese companies. Um, was always kind of opaque you know you never really understood exactly what was going on especially as a foreigner and sometimes we would uh we would interview you know whoever was at dse and and whoever was at k1 and and you talk to them and you understand how it is like you you never really the answers that they give to your questions are like riddles and you never really understand what's going on but uh So, yeah, maybe you could tell me. You could fill me in on some of it.
0: Right. So, like, it wasn't – my understanding of it. it, it was less DSE's end and more K1's end that, that wanted to be in the wrestling business. And that's where, like, Wrestling 1 came from. So, you go, like, from K1 to W1, right? Um, and so, Ishii, who was the, the head of K1 at the time, like, he was in rumors. There was rumors flying around that Inoki had sold New Japan to, to K1 at one point, and, and they were shot down. Right.
1: Well, um, he came from pro wrestling. I mean, he came hmm. from 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 Maeda's rings kind of right. yeah. like that was his background. So that may, that makes sense that he would be interested in it. And also to me it's like, you know, K-1 was this thing that was so hot for a time, and yet um, I have to imagine it's very difficult for them because they they had all the success, but at the same time they could never figure out a way to to center a, a Japanese national in in the promotion. Right. Um, uh, part, partly just because it is combat sports and, and they couldn't find somebody that could deliver. And mm-hmm. whether it was Musashi or, or Sataki or whoever, you know, they couldn't. They had these great foreign names that they had built up on the kickboxing side and they couldn't really ever find a way to get a Japanese uh, fighter into that mix. And so maybe. Um, you know they saw kind of the writing on the wall i think that that k1 was fading and, and maybe you know that this was a good time to to move into some a new a new business you know that that doesn't yeah. make sense to
0: me yeah and they they had like the you know because they were pally with with pride and dreamstage at the time they they had all of that dse money so like um it was I guess it was it was kind of K one shows, but like the uh, DSE were producing them, so that's why you had like really really good production values um, on the whole show. And their idea was to do something just different, you know, that they couldn't present pro wrestling like they present the, the, the mma product because they would run into the problems that we've been talking about so that's why everything was very off the wall they had strange ideas you know like you know having uh, sound effects with different moves you know and, and things like that the, the we'll we'll see later on um but yeah, DSE helped a lot with that and they, they also helped a lot with with the talent, obviously. So you had like a lot of uh, pride talent on on this show and you also had them throw money down like guys like Bill Goldberg. So yes. the the reason why Hustle was was born was that they threw a whole bunch of money to sign Goldberg to to a multiple show appearance, uh, a multiple show contract um and what happened in the end like shortly after this show um Dreamstage and k1 split up and went their separate ways and and russell one went down the toilet so like Dreamstage stage entertainment was left footing the bill to let bill goldberg sit at home <laughs> um and he thought well this is a waste of money so they started an entirely new company just to have bill goldberg finish out his dates and and that's that's where hustle came from um you know and they could uh they partnered up with shini hashimoto and 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 then went from from there um so yeah just a a bunch of crazy stories going into this show and and then like i don't know if you've seen the whole show or, or just the matches we were looking at but when everything is is built around like um bob sap getting killed and then he comes out <laughs> for the main event and he's an angel and like he's flying on like a wire oh, and throwing i, I
1: love that i mean what what an amazing thing and and i don't know i i thought the whole thing was great in because of how terrible it was um not the entire show but that that particular match between ernesto houston and bob Sapp, like it was like the most hokey pro wrestling stuff you can imagine you think about like the worst wrestling promos that that you've ever heard and and these guys were topping them i mean the, it was just awful and then sap comes to the to the ring flying like an angel like this is like must have been like peak bob sap period in in japan and uh i i don't know it it was something to behold and then you know neither of them really know how to be a professional wrestler <laughs> and they're trying to have this match and instead of like doing like some kind of shooting style where who's is like uh, doing kickboxing moves he's like trying to do pro wrestling moves mm. and um if you had told me that they were doing like if they were attempting they were doing their best to make a mockery of pro wrestling they could not have done a better job than they did it it, it was remarkable
0: yeah yeah and uh but yeah the, you actually chose from from this show probably Maybe the best match on this card. Uh, <laughs> Not to say it's like great or anything, but like Kendo Kashin and Sabu was kind of okay, you know?
1: Yeah, I was really interested to see this kind of like uh, what I imagine might be an interesting clash of styles. You know, I always was a big fan of Sabu and and, and kind of what he brought to the wrestling business and, and helped popularize especially um, in the U.S., he t- he had taken that FMW style that uh, Anita had done such a great job of, of building up and and help bring that to the states in, in ECW and and so um, you know at, at the very least if Sabu is in a wrestling match it it is there's going to be some chaos involved like I remember seeing him we went to see him live in like a a, a bad part of Atlanta and uh, people had thrown all these drinks into the ring at the at the Dudley Boys and the ring is just soaked and Sabu came out for the next next match and he's slipping and sliding all over the place and yet uh, he was so insistent that he did did all his spots yeah. he had to do this spot where he like jumped off the chair onto the ropes and then did like a moonsault backwards he had to have tried this spot at least seven or eight times while the other poor guy just sat there, you know, waiting for it. Uh, but he was not going to be dismayed by how wet the ring was and how bad the conditions were. Like, Sabu was going to do his stuff. And mm. so that I was excited to see what he did. And then he goes out against Kendo Kashin, who, like, you know, had that legitimate reputation as a, a collegiate wrestler and, uh, and a shooter. And he's, like, going for low single legs and stuff. Like, it was totally out of out of uh, whack you know, from what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I mean, later it was he brought some of Sabu stuff in. But yeah, it was like one of those matches where the the guy who's not known for being a, a good technical wrestler decides, like, I'm going to show that, that I can do it. Like when Hulk Hogan would bring out his like uh his his few technical moves his drop toe hold yeah sure sure can. like this was sabu's version of hogan's drop toe hold moment right where he's like i can wrestle too and uh yeah that, that uh made the match uh kind of interesting
0: yeah 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 there, there is a kind of a time where like you're, you're kind of down to to when sabu's gonna sabu and i think like it's <laughs> the point where he goes for like the the springboard Karana on like cash in and doesn't like he he doesn't like hook up well with Kashin and just basically leg drops his neck on the top rope and it's very very ugly. Um, it's 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 a it's a brutal spot that. Um, but the the rest of it is it's it's a good yeah it's a good kind of clash of style thing. It, it makes me think I want to uh, go back and and watch his his new Japan run. Um,
1: you know, more yeah, I mean, so it, it, but, but we're like praising this thing, and, and, and it's the best match on this card by by far, I think. And yet, yeah, the, like, yeah, you the, know, the, you're the, talking the, about like in Meltzer language, <laughs> like, uh, a three star match, maybe. It's right? on a curve,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's on a curve, like the the Dragon Gate six man is this, and the Dragon Gate six man is is kind of okay, um, but uh, yeah, it's also like there's after the match is done, like he, Sabu just does a, a triple jump moonsault through through a table like for no just reason to
1: do it. it's just like this guy is a lunatic and then you know like you know he's he's old now and he's broken down and yet i saw him on this indie show like just last weekend he was he was wrestling uh some guy and uh, he's still like out there trying to do sabu stuff so it's just like some of these guys are gonna be who they are right into the grave and uh i don't know you can't help but kind of respect that i guess
0: yeah yeah um, speaking of people doing Sabu's gonna Sabu and Goldberg's <laughs> gonna Goldberg, um, or like Chronic's gonna Chronic. I, I don't know why I chose this like Chronic versus like Goldberg and and Keiji Muto, which was most memorable for Bill Goldberg's entrance. I, oh
1: my gosh, can you <laughs> be, be, imagine being these other guys and these poor guys all came out to the ring except for Goldberg, even Muto, like the big star. And they have to just stand there for like 15 minutes while they yeah. shoot like this short film of Bill Goldberg like leaving the airport and he's going <laughs> to the mall and he's changing <laughs> clothes and he's barking at people. All this is happening on the screen. Like it's just like the most fascinating thing you've ever seen. Like oh, Bill Goldberg walks places. It's like the old, <laughs> the old pro wrestling uh, you know, guys used to do these reports on, on Nitro and, and Raw and, and there was this guy CRZ who wrote these wrestling recaps and every time this would happen in, in in the backstage area of like nitro or raw a, a guy would be shown walking through the arena he'd go there's Stone cold steve austin and he's walking and, yeah. and like exclamation points because they presented this like it's this great deal and this was that on steroids like yeah i, I don't even understand what the concept was but well, okay I so like really this there's there's yeah there's the
0: kind of the the semi-angle for this was that um they, they built the whole show over, we don't know if Goldberg's going to be here. Um, yeah. Because there was legitimately, like, a lack of contact in general going on. And so there there was a problem where, like, the Wrestle 1 people were were trying to get through to Goldberg and say, you know, you're booked on this show and, and this is what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, apparently Goldberg didn't know. Um, so yeah and you know part of that was exaggerated they they brought that out for the the whole show of like will goldberg show up you know so put down your money for it like a semi-main event <laughs> that might never happen you know um and so yeah so that that was that the whole idea was oh he's he's here he's just arrived at the station okay. <laughs> and now he has to walk into the tokyo dome so I, get, um, I get the angle, but the length of it. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every but,
1: step he took. It I know, like, like, yeah,
0: but the thing is, they they did not like they had to edit it, like at some points, you know, because like the the walk from Suidobashi Station to to the Tokyo Dome isn't, you know, is a little bit longer than than what it took, and also that they they blow the angle completely when, like Goldberg, like storms into his dressing room and his shit's already in the dressing room, like <laughs> his bag's already there. <laughs> Right um oh, so yeah and to just yeah the, the my favorite is the look on keiji muto's face like halfway through this it's just like almost head in hands looking at the screen like oh, oh I can't, yeah, you know, can't even I'm
1: believe doing. it and he's just standing out there in the ring like a goon instead of like you know this legend of japanese wrestling and uh i don't know i felt kind of bad for him chronic not so much they deserved it that's fine they can stand there and watch the screen but like at least they could have let muto sit in the back and, and wait for goldberg to make his appearance i don't <laughs> Um, And then they go out and just have this like, uh, Oh man A wrestling match And and poor Muto was trying so hard In this wrestling match I mean he wanted to do his best To make this into something But he's so broken down physically at this point And the other guys are so lousy That there's just nothing he can do And it's kind of It was almost sad to me to watch someone who had been so great um, Really giving it Everything he had and not even able to make it acceptable, you know?
0: I think he was like, trying his best. Yeah, I think Chronic is peak, guys that were booted out the American system and going, oh, we'll make money in Japan, you know, and just doing the exact same shit that they were doing in America. Um, and yeah, their, their Japanese career wasn't uh, particularly a long one. Um, yeah, there was just nothing in this match, um, except like this the spear and the jackhammer, which. As as I alluded to before, was matched with on-screen graphics and a crashing sound effect, which was like Wrestle One's like signature thing. So, like they did that for Goldberg and uh, Kojima and Hase. Like um, there was like a Kojima and Hase tags on this show, and when Hase did the giant swing, like there would be graphics on the screen telling the people to count um how many rotations he'd done and when like kojima did uh, the elbow like uh, they, there would be like cue cards on the screen to get everybody to chant <laughs> um so it's,
1: i mean what a thing to have on not only in front of this this crowd at the tokyo dome but also on on fuji television and stuff like you know, mm. i like just presenting this to the world and not being a little bit embarrassed was <laughs> um that must have taken a special kind of person yep yeah, exactly
0: yeah and it, it it was one of those situations where you know if they did the the numbers that they got you know today then you know then today um yes. then it, w- it would be a success you know but uh with prime time TV being very very different um 15 years ago it was it it you know relatively tanked and and they didn't get another deal um, and then everything <laughs> dissolved from there. But, uh, yeah, that was the the strange tale, the strange, strange tale of, of Wrestle 1. Um, but, I, I mean, we go from, from there, John, to um, Ultimate Royal, which is a whole other strange, <laughs> strange situation. You know, what I mean, like, we go from this idea of okay we're gonna kind of have a, a championship for our shoot fighters to screw we well, we'll kind of abandon that and what we will do instead is literally have proper like legit MMA matches on a pro wrestling <laughs> card. Um and that was Ultimate Royal. The ultimate royal idea and interesting enough, you know, when they first announced it, um, they had a lot of curiosity buys. You know, I think, and, and the tickets that the actual uh, paid number for Ultimate Royal wasn't wasn't bad at all. Um, and they, they drove a lot of tickets ba- just based on the curiosity, I think. Um, but I think that's a lot of some of the missteps of this era, where people buying into a show concept on a, a curio- on a curiosity stake, and that's something just not being viable long term. Um, I can't imagine what this show was must have been like to watch live. Um, Kind of just just such a difficult thing. I think I think if you're a pro wrestling fan or an MMA fan, this is was literally just just not what anybody wanted.
1: Yeah, and and it's weird because it's like uh, you know they you have a pro wrestling card and it's just like in the very in the middle of it they inserted this MMA show you know like so you got your undercard and they're like okay now we're gonna do the MMA show and okay here's some more pro wrestling and the and the whole thing is is kind of odd like you say like they had spent this time and energy building up this shooter's title and yet then the that guy. Is in a pro wrestling match, and meanwhile, a bunch of other guys are in actual shoot fights, and it's just conceptually um, such a complete mess. And then you have like guys like Ken Shamrock, who are on the undercard, like you know legitimate shoot fighters, but they're in the pro wrestling section of it, and yeah. it's just there's and, and, and same with Murakami and, and it's an NOA. Like it's just a. Uh, uh, they, they just really made a mess of it in some ways, but this is one of the few shows I, I did see in real time because it, it did have all the MMA stuff on it, so I was curious about it. So I had seen this one before, um, and I think of the two uh, Ultimate Crush shows, the, this is the better one, at least as far as the MMA matchups they came up with. They're They're more competitive and more interesting, I think.
0: And I think probably better from a pro wrestling standpoint as well. I think they were very definitely um, on the idea of, you know, I think their thinking was that this might be something that they shit on. So, like, we need to put our best foot forward on on both scents. And what you had with the, the other Ultimate Crush shows was, like, the early matches really suffered from a pro wrestling standpoint because you know it was it was the kind of thing where nobody will remember this by the end of the show so that's when like they throw out battle royals at the start um but what you had here was that they started off the on the wrestling side with um a number one contendership match with with tenzan and and tanahashi um which uh, which tenzan won and then then that turned into you know probably less of a, a big deal for tenzan than than he would liked. um but yeah, and and then it was the thing of okay, we're gonna go to your MMA matches, but when we come back, you're gonna get Kenta Kobashi versus Masahiro Chono, which was like an absolute, you know, dream match, um, and you know, and and it delivered, you know, I think it delivered, um, so you know the there there was that thing of of okay but i think for for both sets of fans you know it it was even people writing about at the time like how do you expect people even if you like both you still have to like mentally change gears right from going through okay i'm watching pro um, mma and now i'm gonna watch Chono and kobashi do like not only pro wrestling match but a very pro wrestling pro wrestling match you know nothing shoot style in that um So yeah just just very very difficult but um what i was interested in here was um Jan Norcher, who was on the wrestle one card huh. as uh as Jan the giant convict um in a, right. in a tag team of the two giant convicts with um with the the great kali uh was it the great kali or was it giant silver no it was it was giant Singh. it was, it was the yeah. great kali um yeah so yeah <laughs> so the, the, we've got the connection there um but uh, Yan Noja and um shinsuke nakamura so yeah, like that, I, I that's that's saw... you know this yeah, is I mean... really why, why I chose this because you you know na- na- the first time I think we talked about Nakamura on, on this, this podcast, at least. Um, what was your take then from, from an MMA standpoint, because you're really, I'm not an MMA guy. So a lot of this kind of washes over me, but like, uh, you know, what, what's, what's your take on, on both of these guys, um, from your, your MMA journalistic uh, standpoint?
1: <laughs> well, uh, so we didn't know much about Nakamura at the time. Um, you know, I, th- I believe if I, I want to say I'd heard of him, he had been, um, he had been training with Dan Henderson, I think, at, at Team Quest in California, probably when he was like at the LA Dojo or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, his his name has kind of drifted around in, in circles. And and he was obviously a very strong grappler and amateur wrestler, and, and you could see that here. Uh, but you know, for for uh, in the MMA world, obviously he had no real profile. Um, and 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 John was, uh, uh, you know, they presented him as like this great K1 kickboxer, and I don't think he ever really was. But he was an enormous human being, and so you know that's one of one of the what is great about this kind of like old school MMA before there were you know, all these weight classes and rules and, and, and thought and consideration to people's health and safety, <laughs> you know, um, you could get matches like this where, you know, uh, Nakamura obviously has a huge, uh, skill advantage, but he's at a, at an enormous size disadvantage and it makes for kind of an, an interesting con, uh, contest. And so, um, I think watching this, you can see right away that Nakamura has a, a lot of potential in this world. Um, and eventually he kind of um, tagged his way out of it, right? He's just like, no, no more for me. But um, he definitely, I think, could have made something of himself in this. He has a lot of natural gifts uh, in, in the in the grappling uh, realm and, and obviously a, a very tough guy. And uh, I think that this was great for him, obviously, right? Like it positions him as you have these competing forces. Like not only does he want to be a great pro wrestler, but uh, – he can become kind of the poster boy for Anokiism by also being able to go out and win these kind of matches, the kind of matches that Anoki uh, only pretended to win. Like this guy could actually go out and and do. And so, you know, I think this obviously he was a, a rookie. This is very early yeah. in his career, right? Like his, his yeah. second match or something. And um, and, and he's already being positioned like this, and 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 it's just uh, tremendous for him. And uh, I think it's kind of ironic what would come later is you know this huge split that he had personally with Inoki because in a lot of ways he was exactly what Inoki wanted in a pro wrestler.
0: Yeah, and like this was I can only imagine the kind of pressure that he must have been feeling at at this point. Um, like the story that they were selling with the match uh, with with Janoche was that um, Jan had had KO'd um, Yasuda at Beaumet, Um in what at the end of the at the end of the prior year and so like nakamura had faced yasuda and in, in his debut match quote-unquote match um and so you know by being young you know he's he could then like in theory take on yasuda and, and what have you but um yeah the 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 pressure that, that Nakamura was, was, was feeling, um, was very much, you know, if he, if he hadn't have won, he would have been in deep trouble from, from all corners because everybody on the pro wrestling side of, of New Japan, like hated the guy's guts at this point. Um, <laughs> because as, you know, as a, a, He'd come into... He'd entered the New Japan Dojo as to train as a pro wrestler, but was because of his his sort of talents and and his propensity and and ability in in grappling and all the rest of it, he was really put on the fast track. And so he was... You know, he didn't get the Young Lion treatment. He went straight into, you know, a match with with a top guy in Yasuda. You know, top guy, rightly or wrongly, in Yasuda (laughs) in in 2002. Um, And it was a situation where... You know, and and he came out. He would come out in in full gear. You know, and like the, even that was a big thing that that you didn't. He didn't come out. He didn't come out in like the, the the generic black trunks and the, and the black boots of of being a young lion. You know, they would. There was this uh, great story where like they gave Nakamura like his gear like minutes before he went out, and they they just told him to to change in a bathroom so that none of the boys would see him. You know, because they yeah, they really it's really shit. fascinating because yeah.
1: you um you um i've been they've translated Nakamura's autobiography into english and i've been reading it and it's it's really fascinating when he tells these stories that you're you're talking about where he has to to sneak off and put on on his costume basically because uh, everyone will be so upset uh to see him in it and it, it, it is it is you know maybe it's a cultural uh you know uh, difference because you know there's just a different expectation i think you know we expect mm. the young hot pro wrestler to be given a special treatment and given a fancy costume and 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 some personality and yet in in japan like there's such an expectation of conformity that you know even just breaking free of it just a little bit is um is really controversial and it's uh it it's really almost kind of sad to read his description of it like and how excluded he was and how alone he kind of felt uh because he was given this opportunity really through no fault of his own um to to break the system and, and do it in a different way um mm. he he you know the the strength of will that it must have required um uh, is 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 really remarkable, and I think it probably was a showed people the fact that he could shoulder that pressure. Um, really did kind of uh, show that he could be positioned for a top role in the company because uh, he he had already proven that that he could handle adversity. I think, and 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 I I don't know. I I was kind of amazed to to read his take on all this.
0: Yeah, and I think like a good deal of the, of that. That heat and and how you know Nakamura wound up just just learning everything in in the deep end and, and on the job because like as as a dojo prospect you know he was in the same class with um, Ryusuke Taguchi and Hiroki Goto um, and the the guy that would go on to become uh, Yoshitatsu and out of those guys like Nakamura was by far the worst like you know that he was he was not he was not a good pro wrestler um and it really wouldn't be until he had you know and they they gave him the title when he wasn't a good pro wrestler you know but um he wound up learning a lot I think from Takeyama in in 2004 um and then you know Having all of these these trips to to Mexico was what really really shaped him, you know. I think and and it, that learning process you you see it, and um, you know I think you can see it framed through these these Tokyo Dome shows over the next like two thousand four two thousand five, um, and and going from there. But I mean I think it it brings to mind something that you know I I um, interviewed Jordan Breen for the, for the book and like he came you know he made a good point that what you got a lot from these types of shows and these types of situations was like the best you the best situation would be just slight disappointment because the the people that turned <laughs> out the people that turned out really good were guys like you know that benefited from from both ends were guys like Manabana Kanishi who benefited from from i think doing these mma fights because it kind of you know gave him a little bit more depth than just a generic powerhouse wrestler um or guys like say baz written who wound up turning out to be really really good in in his pro wrestling appearances but it would always be i think wrestling fans looking at Baz Rutten and think thinking like i oh, if only he really trained to be a pro wrestler and or fight fans looking at Manabin nakanishi and, and thinking if only he applied himself in mma you know it was just disappointing on on both sides i think
1: yeah and and it and it was like a lot of times it would be guys that would get these opportunities based on these fights and and these unexpected results who weren't really ready or capable of stepping into the role that that would follow that and I'm thinking here of the guy we were talking about earlier Yasuda, who uh was kind of propelled towards the top of the card from being like an undercard guy his his whole career in part because of an MMA result that you know he maybe maybe did or did not deserve. And yeah. all of a sudden now he's being asked to be a top guy in, in the wrestling world because of that and and he's not ready for it and he's not yeah. capable of it. And so the, it did it did create these weird uh, these weird uh, situations like that where guys were moving all around based on their skill set in one thing that has really nothing at all to do with the other. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, uh, no one seemed to understand that, at least the, on the Inoki side, that it didn't really, these two things didn't matter like that much. Like success in one doesn't have that much to do with success in the other in in the long term. And, uh, but they treated it like it did. And, and, and sometimes that, that wasn't for the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, one of the guys that that um, was a great sort of very uh, interesting performer on on both sides at, at this point in time was Kazunari Murakami, um, who, you know, I mean, he had that sort of battle arts lineage and, and everything else w- with him, but just brought like so much uh, charisma and, and um, just a real sort of badass bitterness to him. Um, that you know it's a shame that he wound up you know so he, in a pro wrestling sense he wound up uh, going to Big Mouth Loud and then like you know it, it he didn't get like the, the big run in, in a top promotion that, that perhaps he deserved but like ever since you know I think him sort of being the, the lackey of Nao Yorogawa like a couple of years before um, that's what sort of really kicked him off in, in New Japan and um, this like the the match you chose with uh, Ensign Inoue is um, you know, kind of like short, but but very intense. Like it's it's a fun little brawl, I think.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of like uh, what uh, all of Murakami's matches are. I thought, you know, uh, so the, the, he brought like the level of intensity and violence that he would bring to the ring was it was pretty remarkable. And and I think a lot of that was just. Uh, not that he was a great worker and, and made it look good it's just that he would go out there and beat the crap out of people like yeah. for real and that's that there's like an excitement to that like you know you, you you had talked about the Ogawa stuff earlier. That was what was so exciting about the, the Hashimoto stuff was that the, the, the level of violence was outside the norm of what you expect in a mm-hmm. professional wrestling match. And and that was what um, Murakami brought every time out there. And this, what was fascinating about this from an MMA fan perspective is that Ensign uh, way was uh, – uh, uh, kind of like the real life version of of Murakami, like he had, had he was involved in those kind of fights and that kind of violence, like for real. Like when you look, think about like his fights with uh, Frank Shamrock, which was just like this back and forth slugfest in the, in the second round, and then his his fight in Pride with Igor uh, Bob Chanson, which was just like the the most <laughs> the, the most incredible. I mean, before Fry Takayama had their kind of hockey fight, like the 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 go to fight to see like just this unhinged violence was, was Ensign and Bob Chanshin, where they just stood in the middle of the ring and and threw haymakers at each other until one of them fell down, and that was Ensign. But the courage that he showed in doing that is really, I think, what made him popular with the fans. Like The fact that he was willing to, to go through that um, just to prove that he could uh, meant so much to people. So he was really the, the real-life Murakami, and to see them clash like this was uh it was everything that i wanted it to be like a uh, short match but just like the the level of violence in this thing w- was beyond <laughs> you, what w- anything you could imagine in, in in pro wrestling you know outside of like something like battle arts or something where you know th- this was uh, on that level of violence and that's a huge compliment for me
0: Yeah. And, and that like segues into, to the other, the ultimate crush or ultimate crush two, like a few months later on where you got one of only two, um, singles matches between, uh, between her coming and Katsuyori Shibato, um, that's that there was and like it wasn't much of a match really you know <laughs> because like we're gonna just just beat the other living shit out of shibata like earlier on shibata just rolls to the floor and his face is just piercing blood um it's it's really something and then like you know i think this is as well you know this you know it was a match where shibata was just just beaten bloody but like um it was the the starting of the making of Katsuyori Shibata, you know, I think because like you had that thing of they're both, they were both stable mates, you know, they were both in this thing called a uh, Makai club, which was, um, I mean, Makai club is strange. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, this thing where like they were a collection of masked people. And like, it was like a kind of a, like a religious club, a religi- religious cult, you know, that they, they worshipped Antonio Inoki. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah. And so a lot of what a lot of what came out of Enokiism was like, you know, MMA style matches or indeed MMA matches booked with a pro wrestling angle mindset. You know, so you, you had these, yeah these shooters, but Re- Revere Antonio Inoki is our, our god and we're a cult or like you know you <laughs> shoot fights set up by you know having crazy angles like you know you were you were late you were too late coming into the dojo Fujita. i'm going to beat you up for real you know it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just strange stuff but um but yeah th- this was a real thing of like murakami just like Trying to get Shibata to to keep standing up and keep taking it, and like you know, Shibata won't go down, and then you know they they throw the match out or whatever. But um, yeah, just, yeah, just so
1: intense. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a very typical structure for young lions matches, right? And you yeah. see it on every tour, where you know this is kind of the idea is like you know the 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 more veteran wrestler is going to put this guy to to the test, and and the point is not winning for the young lion. The point is showing. Courage and and willpower and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know the Bushido factor, um, and and so in that way I thought it was a very typical match. What was different was the level of violence applied, and 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 it's what it's something that is uh, unique to pro wrestling because and you see it because of this card because it followed immediately these MMA matches. Uh, you, you can kind of see the difference. Like the level of violence mm. – MMA is real violence. And yet the level of violence in a match with like someone like Murakami, it goes beyond MMA <laughs> because right. they, they can do things. Because the person is not really defending themselves, like – this was almost to the level of being uncomfortable, I think. I, I don't know if it was for you, but like um, w- what he was doing to this other man was just like, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, is this right? <laughs> Are we right to be <laughs> participating in this and watching this? Sure. Like uh, the, the, It was almost like an initiation in some ways, right? And 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 uh, I guess Shibata passed. He passed whatever yeah. test they were lo- looking to put him through because, um, you know, eventually – uh i guess this is how life works right they, he would follow on into this path and then you know you can watch a lot of matches where it's Shibata giving the inappropriate <laughs> levels of violence <laughs> and he's the one on the other side of them and and a lot of other wrestlers are the victims so um the, i guess the, it's just like uh the the circle of wrestling life
0: yeah and the 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 crazy brotherhood of pro wrestling that uh yeah the, this man that that sort of beat me to an inch of my life but you know a couple of years later they they start this this company together with, you know, with those two and, and uai to eventually make big mouth loud um you know, after ship leaves like uh yeah that that's that's a strange thing that only probably pro wrestlers that, that actually do it for long enough understand that um but there but like so radically different from uh, you know the, the the match that you put forth, which was the, the <laughs> match, yeah, um,
1: and they followed they followed each other in in on the actual card as well. And yeah. so, like, I, I can't even imagine being this poor crowd. Uh, you just sat through this this kind of uh, obscene level of violence. And then here comes Hulk Hogan in, you know, 50 years old, uh, hobbling out to, to the ring, uh, for his, his kind of swan song in Japan. And, and, and Shono is also in, in bad physical health. And like, Mm. they just, uh, um, you can't imagine two more opposite things than than these two matches. No. And so I think,
0: you know, I mean, putting it through the time and and obviously I've seen this match a, a few times and came into it spoiled in the first place, but, um, Really, like, I think if you were perhaps a a casual follower of of Hogan in America, but, like, you knew Hogan in Japan, or even if you were kind of a little bit down on... on, If you had been a little bit down on Hogan, but you knew his stuff in Japan, you know, I think there there would have been hopes for Hogan and Chono. And I think it was probably realistic to expect something out of Hogan and Chono that you didn't get at all. You know, it was so disappointing you know <laughs> um and y- there there was this whole thing you know they they'd set this this whole thing up of course like hogan with like jimmy hart you know ranting and raving and doing a, a what you're gonna do kind of promo and then like <laughs> um You know, Chono had like a a good line of of, "Who's this guy?" He calls himself Mister America. (laughs) This was going (laughs) off like a Mister America thing in in WWE. It was like it's Mister America versus Mister Japan. You know, I'm going to show him Mister Japan or whatever. And what you know, what I was hoping to see was the the hogan that that we've talked up on other episodes of this podcast and that you know i've i've always you know, writing the book it was always sort of almost singing the praises of hulk hogan in in japan because you know, like you see some of his best stuff uh, in the tokyo dome over, over this time you, you sort of like the great match with stan hansen the, the great right. match he had with Tenryu. um and you know, you compare like Hulk Hogan to, you know, I think a, a good comparison is, is getting to because like probably around about the same age. Um, mm. and you know, Hogan and, and tenure back sort of what about 10, 12 years before this sort of put on like an, an awesome show and and something we've talked about, uh, on this program of like how smart Hogan was to adapt himself to the Japanese audience. um, where his stuff, in his 90s stuff and his 80s stuff, you know, he was kind of showing, you know, he put a lie to the fact that Hulk Hogan couldn't wrestle. You know, I think, like, there, there, there's that myth that, that Hulk Hogan um it, it wasn't a good wrestler at all. Because I think, like, Hogan could wrestle quite adequately. He just didn't have to. And so he right. didn't want to, you know. Um, But, so, yeah, it, I was kind of expecting this sort of 10-year, old man 10-year, like, bitter brawl and like it really <laughs> stiff. And what we got was like a Hulk Hogan WWE match, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, so I thought it, I, I've never seen the match until, until we, I was pre- preparing for the podcast. So I was coming into it fresh and, uh, you know, I think it, I kind of disagree that I, you know, I think from a technical perspective, this was about everything you could have wanted from uh, Hulk Hogan in, in 2003, and and it really reminded me in a lot of ways of uh, the previous year in which you know he had kind of uh, become a a critical darling somehow after mm-hmm. having been you know he had, he had had trouble with the hardcore fans his entire career, and yet you know everybody loved his match with The Rock. Uh, in in toronto in 2002 and those guys went out and and had this tremendous uh, bout that maybe wasn't the greatest in-ring match but you know part of what made it special was the fact that the crowd was willing to accept it and get into it and 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 they really helped uh make this match that was only kind of okay and, and they put it on their shoulders as, as an audience and, and uh, elevated it into something else the fact that they cared so much uh made made that match special and and i think that chono and hogan delivered a very similar kind of performance i think yeah. for a fi- for a 50 year old hogan um you know, this was everything you could have expected, and really the difference was the technical level of the match is exactly the same as the Rock match, I think, and mm. in a lot of ways it was even kind of structured in, in in a similar way, but the difference was the crowd didn't care nearly as much as they did uh, in North America, and and sure. that was and and that really uh, kind of just illustrates. How important the, that noise and energy of the crowd can be, because you here you put that same match in a different environment, and and the match is maybe exposed a little bit, right, as being a, a product of a time and a place, and not just being um, pure excellence, because uh, it it failed here in yeah, this new place.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, and I think like that's the the distinction of where Hulk Hogan was in 1990 as opposed to where Hulk Hogan was in 2002. Because like Hulk Hogan in in 90 would have said would have known that like the the WWF Hulk Hogan stuff was not going to work, wasn't going to cut it in Japan, and so you know he would have to do something different. And that's why like those matches are just like really good violent brawls, you know. Um, you know, really good stiff stuff and, like, in 2002, like, Hoku was kind of aware <laughs> of, you know, I think he was thinking, you know, he would have a few dates with with New Japan, but, like, he wasn't really invested on, on uh, making sure his reputation in Japan was, was particularly high, you know, um, and it just, yeah, it, it it was just, like, the back rakes and, like, the, the well, stuff well, that like, Well, how that much do you
1: think noise? how much do you think of that, is that the product of, um, hansen and tenru being really uncompromising like uh I'm sure the, the, those guys are never going to let you get into the ring with them and not feel it and and in in some ways like that's the beauty of professional wrestling where like these you put these elements in there together and you don't know exactly what's going to happen mm. but when, when you when you have talent like that um you know they're going to push the other person to to excellence and 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 hansen i think and, and tenru are both guys that like they they had great matches with a, a diverse, really diverse, especially Tenryu. When you look at his career, he had matches in all different styles with wrestlers from all over the planet and in all different Japanese styles. Like they would come in um, and, and wrestle him, and it would always, almost always, be great. And, and and on some level, you have to say that's because of him, right? He, yeah. He's for he's forcing that. He's not gonna he's not gonna allow you not to be great. And and maybe it was a deal where. Um, where Chono didn't know how to push Hogan to a different level or, or couldn't for for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. And, and, and that might be the difference.
0: Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. And, and what the, what this all led to was one of the great angles that never was, you know, with like um, Hulk Hogan's backstage interview and, and who walks in, but Jeff Jarrett, (laughs) 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 the same with the guitar, that Jarrett Hogan match that we never, ever got, you know, NWA okay. champion, IWGP champion. No, oh, you're talking about unfinished
1: business, Hogan. Yeah, you come out of the cocoon. Yeah, Jimmy Hart? Yeah, come on, Come out of the cocoon, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, on, you
0: you cocoon, Jimmy Hart. Oh, yeah Hogan, you want to talk about finished business? I'll tell you finished business.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you finished business, uh, Hogan. Hey, 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 hey do you want to talk about unfinished business? I
0: tell you one thing: you get out under the cocoon. Get down! That... You got the to... power. Power! You know! Help me!
1: Help me! Yeah, they have this tremendous platform to, to to do this, and this this great visual, and then uh, I guess they. They did the angle before they signed the contract. I don't know, but uh, it it was not to be. Maybe, I mean, neither guy's uh, dead yet, and it's pro wrestling, so um, maybe it'll happen next year. Who knows? You never know.
0: That's true. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Jarrett, the world's greatest businessman. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's all very good. Um, yeah, so that, that's where we are. Like, the, it's very big era of an uncertainty uh, throughout pro wrestling in two thousand and three. New Japan taking a massive uh, downslide, but um, as we'll explore on our next episode, uh, pro wrestling Noah have enjoying a, a massive upswing. So we're we're getting to the point where in two thousand and four, uh, for the first time new japan isn't the biggest promotion in japan for wrestling Noah becomes the 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 top dog for a very brief period um sure. and so you you have this this really really interesting uh, contrast that we'll look at on our next episode but uh for now uh john out of like these four shows that we looked at um which which of these these four tokyo Dome shows uh was was the best in in your estimation
1: uh, I think uh, I think from a I don't know, I think the first Ultimate Crush show was by far the the best um, total show it had it had the the better MMA stuff the more interesting MMA stuff and, and it also had uh, we didn't talk about either of them but the the two matches on the top of the card the Kenno Kobashi versus Chono um, for the the GHC heavyweight championship was was really excellent and one of these three matches uh, the collision of these two worlds that we saw a lot in this era uh, that was very exciting for like a, a fan like me that had grown up on all japan pro wrestling and new japan pro wrestling as kind of being these two worlds that rarely met to to see kobashi in the ring with uh, chono was was really exciting and and the fact that not only were they there um but they delivered uh despite a number of reasons why that shouldn't have been possible physically uh they went out and delivered a great match that was really exciting to me and then um takayama and nagata um, for all the the conceptual ways this was a failure the nokia versus traditional pro wrestling and and how they kind of collided uh, uh this match i thought was was super and oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and and takayama for you know We didn't really talk that much about him, but he was really a lower-card-to-mid-card guy in UWF International. He wasn't really that great in that style, Mm. and and we saw that with the the Kosaka match, that when he was put into the style that he came from, he was only okay. But when you look at him as a a professional wrestler by this time in his career – he was great, and Nagata yeah. was great, and the two of them made a, a, a pairing like it, it, this was a, a really, really good match. And I think even like fans that are used to like kind of the faster paced, more intricate style that exists in New Japan today uh, w- would still enjoy this. This is a match that like stands up fifteen years later, uh, and and still it's still excellent, and I think people would really enjoy it yeah 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 that's 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 a really
0: really good point yeah It it's yeah it's it's easy to forget because you had that that weird clutch with with ultimate crush but but the the quality that that was on there um you you can't really overlook um so yeah thanks a lot for for hopping on and before we get on out of here uh why don't you tell us about the the book and and everything else that, that you've got coming up <sighs>
1: Yeah, so yeah, I'm working right now on on writing the the biography of, of Ken Shamrock, and it's uh, you know a lot of people have asked me, well, why would you do that? There's already been two Ken Shamrock books, and and it's true, but you know. No one has ever really told the story uh, of Ken Shamrock, and, and it's a remarkable journey that he's taken from nothing, living on the streets, uh, to becoming UFC champion and a WWF superstar, and then a complete fall uh, he fell down uh, all the way back I- I- to the bottom, and and now he's struggling to make his his way back up. So it's really a, a fascinating story, and it's not just uh, the story of of Ken Shamrock, but because of uh, of uh, Ken's experiences, it's really this the story of the the formation uh, of MMA both in, in America with the UFC where he was a central figure, but also in Japan where you know he was part of the the revolution in Pancras and, and brought real Uh, shoot professional wrestling back to the forefront for the first time in in almost 100 years. So uh, there's so much going on, like something that would be the most remarkable and incredible thing that ever happened to you or me is just like a day in the life in in ken Shamrock. like the the things that this man has experienced and been through uh i I think are going to surprise people who even think they know a lot about him i was surprised and i considered myself a a super fan of of both ken and the lion's den and and there was so much i didn't know about his life and so i i think um, people will be uh Really interested to read some of the stuff. So uh, I'm excited to have had this opportunity. And um, that's really the main thing I'm working on. I mean, I'm still writing about uh, MMA and boxing for Bleach Report. And uh, I would love for, for people to follow me on Twitter at J.E. Snowden and they can keep up with what I'm doing there cool
0: and uh i'm always bad at my own plugs on my own podcast <laughs> so uh i should uh, remind everybody to follow me on twitter at reasonjp and go ahead and buy eggshells right now on amazon.com uh one mr snowden left a very nice review on on amazon thank you very much for that
1: <laughs> oh i mean I, I legitimately i legitimately enjoyed this book as I, as I did your first one and i think it's uh it's really it's really great for for fans who have been like me who have been following this world but kind of like in a way you can only follow it so hard uh, with, with this huge uh, gulf in both time and and distance and language and, and so like w- what you offer is some perspective that that really adds, I think, to the stories. Like a, a lot of the stories are told in the ring, but what what you bring to it is an, a new dimension, and it's made it's really made uh, my fandom a, a lot more enjoyable to have people like you um, uh, helping to, to to set the narrative and explain what's going on and and provide some of these details. And uh, uh, it's a great service to to fans, and I'm I, I'm really glad that to have discovered you and and to kind of have you in this space has has really changed. Uh, the way that you can follow japanese wrestling and it's uh it, it, I, I don't know i just want to thank you for it. It, it it's really it's really fun
0: thanks i appreciate that um yeah next uh, next time on this podcast we'll look at 2004 john carroll's gonna join me from uh, wrestling on Makase uh to look at that and uh until then take care everybody bye